Hashtag NSW. All right, thank you so much for all of those voice notes, 060-584-2250. Keep sending them through because uh, later on in the show, we'll talk exactly. One of the voice notes was actually saying that, uh, you know, he needs to, this is Jeremy Brock, he needs to get a, a proper agent uh, who will tell him whether to go and settle for money or go and settle for playing or whatever the case might be. So what are we going to do is exactly do that. The person that represents the interests business-wise of both Jeremy Brocky as well as Knowledge Muson will be on Marawa Sports Worldwide to chat to us about both of those individuals and where they are likely to land up. Give us all of your input, 060-584-2250. But right now, though, we thought this would be an important conversation and one that you definitely would need to uh, contribute towards. I know we've been chatting about the regulations. I know we've been chatting about, I mean, even now there was breaking news that came through about the High Court declaring Level 3 and 4 lockdown as being invalid, being unconstitutional. Yeah, that's what the court says, but it doesn't mean that you must run amok now and try and change things because ultimately... You know, government regulations stipulate otherwise. Maybe that's a discussion for another day. And also following those recent announcements regarding the uh, regulations that are governing Alert Level 3, it all has to border around the financial survival of many, many sports in South Africa. And to put it mildly, they, they remain uncertain. And according to the latest guidelines, though, that were released by government... Professional non-contact sport will be permitted. But that kind of leaves many federations in a desperate, desperate financial battle. Now, all sports codes offer work opportunities at all levels. I mean, you look at it from organized, recreational to professional. And many sports clubs, the coaches, the trainers, you've got workers there, semi-professional athletes. All of them facing financial ruin should sport on all of those levels remain prohibited. So what we've done is we decided to invite three CEOs from different federations to take us through some of these challenges. And um, I'm going to be joined on the line by Chief Executive Officer for Golf RSA, that's uh, Grant Hepburn. I mean, that's the umbrella body, though, of amateur golf in South Africa. And also the managing director of the South African Golf Development Board. And uh, just a bit about Grant is that, I mean, he's been involved with golf now for more than 20 years. And aside from his administrative roles, he's also coached championship on the PGA Tour, European Tour, Asian Tour, Sunshine Tour, and many of the country's top amateurs through his established golf academies in South Africa, Europe, as well as the UK. So clearly, just from that alone, the man knows a story and knows it in a well-rounded form. So he'll help us 
to navigate this conversation. Grant, thank you so much for your time. Good evening. Welcome to Marawan Sports Worldwide. Good evening. Thanks for having me. You know, listening to you talk about my coaching career, I must say coaching was a lot easier than, than doing what I'm doing right now. It's, uh, it's really quite a complex task that we're all facing. I'm glad you mentioned that, and I'm glad you say that very honestly again, Grant, because now it's, it's about decision-making for the business, not just the business immediate, but it's about the business of other people's lives and livelihoods. How difficult is that to juggle? It's very difficult. Um, you know, as a, as a federation, you obviously you want to fall in line with, with what government's proposing. You, you want to support government, and we are doing that. We're working very closely with the Department of Sport. But the reality is, um, you know, our, our federation, our sport, is in severe trouble, um, and so are many other sports. I can tell you that our golf clubs, if it goes another two or three weeks like this, up to 50% of them will close, and some of them, many of those, will, will not make it back because, you know, if we don't have our golfers, and it's not about let's all go and have fun playing golf. I think that needs to be understood. Mm. It's around the fact that without our golfers playing in a safe and healthy environment, which, which we can control and we will be able to do, you know, there's no income for the club. That's, that's how they survive. It's not like British Premier League football, as an example, where the money flows and cascades down from the top and all the clubs survive. And our sports, like, like many others, it's a bottoms-up approach. If our, if our members aren't playing, the clubs can't survive. There's, there's no way of, of sustaining jobs. And right now, many of our clubs are, are you know, having to lay people off. It's a, it's a very, very um, sad situation on the ground. It's, it's one where we, we're staring a collapse of the industry in the face, and that's, that's the sad reality of what, what we're facing right now. And, and from what you're hearing, though, Grant, uh, are you getting a sense, though, that anytime soon, especially, though, because you, you find that golf being your so-called non-contact sport, that you should at least have had the upper hand and justify it, what was being said, especially when you went forward and submitted to the minister and say, well, this is our case that we would like to plead? But I think it's important to understand um, that there's 90 sports trying to to plead their case. So it's a mm. mammoth task for the department. We have to, we have to give them that and understand that. Um, I must say that in the last um, sort of couple of weeks, few days, especially we've had many, many engagements with the department in order for them to understand our sports and other non-contact sports more closely um, and to work with them in that respect because we certainly believe that we control, you can't just go and play golf anyway. We control all of those facilities. So we can control the numbers of people that come in. We can control the time they come in, the time they leave. We can control how many of them are playing at, at one time. So we can completely regulate ourselves. And I'm sure that the, the other two CEOs on the line will, will tell you about how they're able to do the same thing as well. So the sport, um, the sport in general can regulate itself. You know, other sectors, uh, like the retail industry, for instance, who will have thousands more people um, than, than the sport industry uh, going back to the shops, etc. If they can be trusted to regulate themselves, I'm pretty sure that sport can be as well, and we know we can do that. Alert Level 3 provides a number of, well, let me say, that there's a bit of relief somewhere for other sporting codes, but then it, it's immensely frustrating for a lot of others. 
I mean, yesterday we talked about the football aspect, and that is a contact sport, and they will, by all likelihood, have to wait until alert level one before they can actually start to play football. Definitely not now. Certainly maybe not even level two uh, because of all that it takes. Uh, I mean, what, what special case, and I know that it applies to everybody else that I'm going to introduce just now, but if you had to plead golf's case, and I keep following on Twitter and everywhere else, all the golf players, whether it's amateur, professional, who are frustrated, who are saying, look at us, here is a shot of a typical day on the golf course, and this was even before COVID-19, and everybody is social distance naturally. There is no close interaction unless obviously there's a bit of banter and people want to exchange how you control the caddy etc what special case would you present that is different to the others yeah well i'd say that obviously it lends itself to social distancing golf is one of the sports that's in the it's in the great outdoors um it's a healthy sport for for all ages uh it really is you know and it's a massive stress reliever so you know you have to start thinking about um comorbidities at a time like this, you know, the, the more people that can healthily exercise, surely the, it's, it's better for the nation. Uh, and, you know, in terms of a, perhaps a special case, if you look at golf, the, the amount of money that's raised for charities, it's, in the, it's literally in the hundreds of millions from golf. So many other sports, other sectors use golf as a, as a vehicle to raise money. Um, and the industry... Just at facilities alone employs over 40,000 people, and about 85% of them are, are from, you know, sort of other vulnerable sector. So that's a strong case. And if you, if you take into account that direct effect, but also, you know, it, it's not a linear thing in golf. It's the tentacles of golf go everywhere. So what I mean by that is you look at tourism, you look at security, you look at landscaping in terms of estates, et cetera, et cetera. So... You know, we did a study and on a, in 2008 and adjusted figures show that golf's a close to a 49 billion rand industry. It's a really, really powerful economic factor. And, and by virtue of that, it becomes what we call the niche sport. And when you've got a niche sport and, you know, a case of federations have to now survive with the amateurs' members' contributions, which you touched on earlier on, and that's the part that I think a lot of people don't quite get. When you've laid out and you say it's a $49 billion, um, business, then the other sector will say, okay, as a niche sport, we don't get to see the other end. I mean, the numbers that you've just rolled out in terms of the behind the scenes, the contributors, the landscaping, etc., etc. Clearly, I mean, surely, Grant, this is bigger than what meets the eye and the, the niche element of what the sport brings. You're 100% right. It's, 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 I said it earlier, it's far bigger than, you know, some privileged people walking down the fairway singing a golf club. It's way more than that. And the challenge is, you know, I said it the other day, it's not like leaving your apartment for three months, locking up and leaving and coming back, turning on the lights, turning on the water and everything works. We're at a stage now where if we don't get the opportunity to revive the industry, the the, the death of so many of these clubs will have a, a long-lasting effect, you know, it, it really will severely, severely hamper not only the golf industry, but all of the industries that feed off golf and, and fall in line with golf and work together with golf. It'll have a massive, massive impact that in many instances won't be able to recover for, for maybe ever or certainly for many, many years. All right, I'll keep you on hold there, Grant, if you don't mind, because... 
I, I want to quickly bring on the Chief Executive Officer uh, of SA Gymnastics Federation. She is also a qualified uh, physiotherapist, a, a former international gymnast, uh, a coach, as well as a club owner. Thank you so much for your time. And for Mark, welcome to Marama Sports Worldwide. Thanks, Robert. Thanks for having me back. I know. Sooner than we ever could imagine. So i got to thank lockdown for that. But it's also the <laughs> same thing that I have to say. It's provided such a headache uh, for yourself as far as gymnastics are concerned. I think we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago on the show. Um, and here we are. We made the presentation. What are your feelings right now? Let me just get your honest, raw approach and feelings. We've heard what Grant has said from your side as gymnastics. What is your case that you're pleading with the minister? So, um, you know, I, I, I can reiterate everything that Grant has said. So yeah. I, I, it's, it, I'm not going to do that. I think the case really about gymnastics is that we're also, to add on to that, is we're also just really the foundation sport of all sports and most essentially for the physical development um, of a child, most importantly. So we are really a case for um for preparing a child to for school readiness and everything that is 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 provided in that respect, um, you know, reading, writing, counting, sequencing, you know, their postural control. They're able to socially organise their skills for sensory processing. You know, it's an essential essential skill for children, and um, not only for children, you know, for adults, it's. A, a fundamental, you know, physical exercise. As I said, you know, anybody who does a, a forward roll from any sport is preparing to learn how to roll or tackle um, and fall within their sport. So from a physical side, you know, we've, we've consulted sports physiologists who are, are putting forward that, you know, the, the human population, the South African population, is not getting the type of exercise that they that they need, and they certainly didn't um, in level four for their immune system. And it is essential that they are able to exercise, and not just freely, with in in an organised manner. Um, so, so that really is our, our our case on the on the physical side. But again, exactly the same as um, as Grant's approach with golf. On the economic side, our industry is um, is in in ready to collapse. Um, you know, it's a bottom up approach. We require our members to be in the gymnastics club, um, to be paying those salaries, and and um, to be supporting the entire industry. Um, you know, the same thing with the manufacturers. They need people in training in order to be purchasing their products. Um, so, so from that respect, and, and and last time we talked about, you know, we've provided some relief. We've paid out from our relief fund to our clubs to try and help them through this time. They are incredibly grateful for that. And but again, in our board meeting yesterday, uh, the provinces are indicating that the clubs are teetering on the edge of closing their doors if they cannot open their doors now. But what's keeping the clubs afloat, though, because, I mean, the key words that I noted, you said about to collapse. You talked about it now, teetering on the edge. I mean, that is like if you are a diver and you're on that diving board and you're just about to, 
you know, go for that one magical jump before popping into into the water. It, it, it almost seems like that. But right now, because we don't know, there's no duration that is attached to any of the levels. It's a case of what is going on on the ground. And if we're going into a winter season now that it's June and then July, it's going to be even a more severe winter. I'm sure the cases will shoot up. We've seen Eastern Cape overtaking now uh, Gauteng today in terms of being the second most infected uh, after the Western Cape. So these dynamics are going to keep on changing, which means that the government will be forced to at least stay on level three, if not go the opposite direction. What's keeping them afloat? What's keeping them afloat is uh, positivity, optimism, and hope. Um, but uh, they, what they are doing, those that can, are doing online, online gymnastics um, classes, and that's uh, keeping some kind of, of income coming into their, 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 um, their gymnastics club. The other thing that's keeping them uh, afloat is goodwill from the families. Um, and those families that can... Uh, continue to pay their fees, but the reality is, is with with people losing their jobs, having reduced salaries, you know, we also fight the the challenge of being a a luxury item within a household, mm. um, and so you know, it it it, it really is a is a is a, a, a tightrope that we walk on in order to to maintain survival, and really the the solution is that um, they, they can open and operate. And again, our case is that we are, we, I mean, in gymnastics is so used to following rules very strictly. I mean, our entire sport is about how to do something as perfectly as possible to the rules. So gymnastics, coaches, clubs, they know how to follow the rules. If you give them a rule book, they know how to follow it. And we are incredibly confident that our clubs, our coaches, and our entire industry will follow the rules. All right. Hold your thought there. And thank you so much indeed for joining us as well. We're just going to take a quick break. Grant Hepburn is still on the line and for Mark is there. And after the break, we're going to introduce as well uh, the Chief Executive Officer of South African Hockey Association, Marisa Langini, is also going to join the conversation. It's Mara Sports Worldwide. All right, uh, welcome back. It is Barrow Sports Worldwide. Crazy to hear Gavin Hunt and his golfing abilities there. But you can be part of this conversation. I really think uh, your, your input is more than welcome. 0605842250. Uh, that's the WhatsApp voice note number. Uh, and across on a Metro FM, uh, 089110377. 0891102000. It's Metro Fam, it's Radio 2000. It is hashtag MSW. It's that important conversation. And before I introduce our next CEO, uh, let me go to Sibergo uh, in Bloemfontein because I think he wants to chat about the golfing side of things. Sibergo, good evening. Uh, good evening, Rob, and uh, to the CEO. Uh, good evening. Welcome. Uh, yeah, Rob. Um, as you have said, Sebeko is my name, and uh, it's about, I think, two years now since I've joined golf. And uh, I know we've got a platform that have been formally so uh, presented where we're making an appeal and to 
the minister, but I know that he's a fan of this show and he's listening wherever he is. And uh, I'm saying to, to some of us, I'm currently, you know, playing on a double handicap and as an initial golfer, as I've said, it's about two years right now since I've started. And there's no sport that I've seen and observed where social distance comes automatically. And uh, I'm telling you, Gov, uh, uh, Rob, it, it comes mm. with sort of addiction. We, we are sick. Just uh, today, I just woke up, touched my golf clubs, look at them, drive past the golf course. It, 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 we are sick, very sick as a, a golf society. Be that it's pros or us on a social level, we make an appeal to the minister, please consider our application. We really want to go back and practice our social distance in the golf course. Thank you very much, God. Thank you so much indeed. Maybe a quick response from you, uh, Grant. I mean, that's somebody who says that to the, uh, you know, they miss it so much. You wake up and you touch your golf clubs, you drive past the golf course and just have a look and play through your mind. Uh, I think he also just lays forward the case of uh, being a safer option to get back into play. Yeah, he sounds pretty convincing, Robert. Maybe you can come work for us. I mean, he makes a good case. I mean, that's exactly what what we're trying to say. And, and obviously, you know, golf is one of those sports that people are so passionate about. It's amazing how, how many captains of industry, how many people um, across all levels of government and society play golf, um, and how many of our you know, how many sportsmen play golf. It's really one of those sports that. Um, has massive playing appeal. You look at other sports um, like rugby. I'm certainly not going to get onto a rugby field. I love to watch it. Mm. Um, whereas golf is a, a sport where people love to watch, but they also love to partake. Um, and, you know, that's that's the, the healthy aspect of it. You know, it's, it's outside exercise, which we know, as, as a, uh, the person just phoned and said, the gentleman just said, it's a sport where we can, we can easily social distance. And, and Gavin Hunt just, you know, he made a joke of it, and we always laugh about that. Mm. Um, but it's true. It really is like that. So, you know, we're all over the golf course and it's, it's on many, many acres of land. So, and that's, you know, the, hence uh, even more need for us to, to return because we're convinced mm. we know we can do it safely. All right. Just got a tweet that's popped up on the timeline here. It says, uh, can you please ask Ron to be specific about his discussions with the Ministry of Sport and what the exact feedback is? For days now, we are asking for this feedback and we are not getting any. What exactly is a response from government as well as the NCCC? Would you be able to answer that? I agree with Cornelius and Luli. Um, it, it, it's been a bit of a problem when it comes to the communication levels and trying to get word coming through from, you know, the department side. I know we've put out a call uh, to try and have the minister. He was unavailable last week. We understand it's been a busy period for him. Uh, but what would you say? How would you answer that tweet? Now, what I'd say is that you can't mention everything when you're in sensitive discussions. But most certainly, um, the Department of Sports, Arts and Culture is, uh, you know, taking our case to the National Command Council. They're working hard to, to get the National Command Council to understand um, our, let's call it our preparedness. I mean, obviously, one of the most important things for the Command Council in terms of the virus is to risk the spread, uh, mm-hmm. to, to, to mitigate the risk of, of the spread of the virus. So. You know, once they start to understand that, and that's really what um, the, the department is helping us with in terms of getting that point across and helping them to understand our industry, um, although it sounds like four, 400 facilities is a lot around the country, um, when you split it up and divide it into the 14 golf unions, 
through those unions and through our golf clubs, we can control those facilities and we do control them. We know that they can behave. We know that they've already put all of the, um, the necessary things that they need to put in place in terms of, of um, the regulations. That's all been done. So, you know, we're ready to go. We can act responsibly. And um, what they've been trying to do for us is just uh, f- firstly to help us understand the regulations as they are now, to help us understand the definitions, um, and also to, 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 to plead our case and say, look, um, you know, this is what golf is saying. So they're saying that they can be responsible and that, that they have a, a full risk mitigation plan in place. All right, uh, let me bring on somebody who is also an honorary member of the University uh, Sports South Africa, USA, as well as the working member of the International University Sports Federation, FISU, uh, the Education Committee, uh, Chief Executive Officer of South African Hockey Association, Marissa Langini. Thank you so much, firstly, for your patience and, and listening through. Uh, you know, I've got the big hitters here tonight, so, and it's an important conversation. Welcome to the show. Good evening, Robert. From your side, though, I know that they usually say hockey finds itself in a bit of a gray area as well. Uh, you know, football, yes, contact sport, because the limbs are there. They're touching. Hockey, also, what, contact sport? Where do you sit on this issue? Yes, we, we certainly fall under the contact sport, uh, Robert, purely because when you play the game of hockey, it, it, it is up close. The players are challenging for the ball, tackling for the ball. So it is a contact sport by definition. Um, I, I think for us, we we welcome the, the initial announcement by the minister, but we were a little bit um, concerned with with the wording that was being used in, in both the announcement um, of Level 3 regulations by uh, Honourable Minister Nkosazana Lamini Zuma, as well as the sub- subsequent uh, media briefing by um, the Minister of Sport, Arts and Culture. And, and for us, it's, it's important, Robert, to make sure that there's, there's no ambiguity in, in what we are allowed to do and what we are permitted to do. Um, so we, we are quite keen to, to get the final gazetted regulations uh, from the minister. Mm. We have obviously asked a number of questions with regards to, to the wording that's been used to make sure that um, we don't get left behind as an amateur sport. There's a lot of discussion about professional and elite, etc. So we, we want to make sure that um, ourselves as a contact sport, but also as an amateur sport, do not get left behind. I mean, if we look at, uh, if you just look outside your, your house every day, you'll see people running in an amateur way, cycling in an amateur way, and obviously walking in an amateur way. And so there's a lot of amateur sports in South Africa, and we want to make sure that, that those sports codes do not get left behind. And we, we're also saying, Robert, that, you know, like my colleagues at gymnastics and, and um Golf has said, let us regulate ourselves because that's what we've been doing up until now. Um, So let's regulate ourselves. We don't want the sports sector, unlike any other economic sector in South Africa, to be over-regulated more than the other sectors. And we found that part of the announcements that were made on on Saturday kind of leaned towards more of an over-regulation. And we're a little bit uh, concerned about that. Um, the need for, for every player, for example, to actually be tested for COVID-19 when we are working in an environment in our country where every day the Minister of Health is saying there's a shortage of test kits in, in South Africa and that the only people that really should be testing are, 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 are people that are showing symptoms as well as people that have been you know, in contact with a, a positive case. 
So we're also saying do not over-regulate. Let us manage the sector. Pretty much stay along the same lines as, as the other economic sectors in the country have been managed. And let us get back to, to what we need to do. There's a lot, obviously, on our agenda as a national federation. One being a winter sport, um, we are sitting in a situation where we've not started any of our leagues from a competitive uh, side of things. But we fully understand that at level three, we cannot have competitive sports. So we are asking for, obviously, the opportunity to train and to to train in a regulated manner that we will put in place as the National Federation concerns. I would imagine, though, Marissa, in, in all of that, and I'll come back to uh, some of the concerns that you've raised about the wording, um, but when you look at it now, time, yes, is limited. Yes, the Olympics uh, should have been happening now in 2020, uh, but there's a, a good old Tokyo 2021 now, and you want to be successful there, uh, so there's no activity right now. So what happens then when you get to national teams and them representing South Africa having to be Olympic Games ready? Yeah, 100%. I mean, you, you've hit the nail on the head. And, and I think what complicates matters a lot more for us as South Africans is that we are lagging behind uh, the rest of the world, especially the likes of Europe, where they've hit their, their peaks in terms of COVID-19, and we are still heading into that phase. But as much as we are saying we're heading into that phase, we are still saying we are ready to, to get our teams to train because come what may, they have to prepare for, for the Olympic Games. And we don't want to wait another four or five months before we can actually now kickstart our training phases in preparation for, for that major, major event um, on our sporting calendar. Um, there's obviously a, a lot of other events that happen even prior to, to the Olympic Games. We have an Indoor World Cup that's happening in Belgium in, in Feb, and we have to prepare the teams for, for that event as well. So, you know, we, as soon as we can get the regulations uh, resolved, um, the regulations should be in a manner that's going to allow us to, to assemble our teams for training purposes. There's a lot of things that we can do, even without contact, in terms of modifying our own training. And that's exactly what Europe is currently doing at the moment. So the top hockey nations in the world are currently training with social distancing and making sure that they comply with the health requirements of both the World Health Organization as well as their own country uh, authorities. Yeah, I mean, for me, it just seemed like a lot that was happening over the weekend was a rush to the 1st of June uh, where decisions needed to be made, but most importantly, where you were dropping to a level lower um, and not much due consideration was being given to individual sports. It was almost like blanket for this one, blanket for that one, and let's make a decision, let's get to the 1st of June, get over the line and maybe try and revisit then individually what needs to happen. So outside of that wording, was there any other issues that for you was a bit of a red flag, was a bit of an issue, was a bit of something that did not work for you because now you need to start going back to training, like you've said, but also to try and look around and say, okay, who do we get to compete with? Are there other teams from other parts of the world when traveling is back again and people are allowed to travel, or even from domestic or just across the border that you can compete with so you can gauge your level of competitiveness? Yes, I think the, the other area which, which we needed uh, more clarity on because we, we've got two national departments that, that are saying different things on, on the same topic. Mm-hmm. Um, when the issue of hotspots was discussed, um, you know, our minister was, was quite clear that you're not allowed to travel from one hotspot to another. 
especially for the purposes of getting to a place where you can train, because training would not be allowed or events would not be allowed in hotspot areas. And then I saw a newspaper article um, which referred to comments from um, the Director General of Transport, who was saying that it is, there is a possibility of allowing sports people to travel between hotspots with the necessary um, requirements and permissions issued between the two departments. So we would also love to see some clarity in that regard. Obviously, when you work with national teams, you work with players that are based in many um, cities um, in our country. And at some point, we obviously need to assemble them to start a national training camp. So by that very nature... And with what we know now about some of the major hotspots, and if I look at where a lot of our players are coming from, it means we cannot assemble anyone out of Itteguini municipality. We cannot assemble anybody out of city of Joburg except those that are in city of Joburg. Um, so, and Western Cape, of course, is, is a big story because um, Cape Wineland, city of Cape Town, we can't assemble any people from those areas uh, in terms of what we heard on Saturday. So we would love to get clarity... Um, in terms of, of what the provisions are going to be for hotspots. Mm -hmm. And even for people that are in hotspots, if they're only being allowed to train where they reside, uh, we also need assistance with the opening of facilities. Because at the moment, most municipal-owned facilities or public facilities are declared closed. Um, so you're being allowed to train, but where do you train? Um, the nature of hockey is that a lot of clubs will be based at a school or will use a school facility. And as per the current regulations with the basic Department of Education, is that extramural activities will not be permitted and sport will not be permitted. I can only then assume that means that the public will not be able to access school facilities, um, even if it's just the sporting facilities. If we look at the other arrangements between clubs and universities, we know that universities will only be letting back about a third of their university population, mm -hmm. and we're assuming that they will focus their energies on people that probably that need to access uh, labs and, you know, chemistry, etc. So, again, you know, the, the loop is closing in terms of the availability um, of facilities for the sports sector. So we clearly do need intervention in, in those areas as well. And as I've said, we can regulate ourselves if, we, if we're given the necessary um, space to do exactly what we require to do to make sure that players can come into a safe environment we can make sure that we subscribe to, to all the health regulations that are out there, that we can screen as per the current NICD screening protocols, and that we can obviously make sure that, that each athlete is, is aware of their responsibility to their teammates and their responsibility to themselves. Um, you know, lockdown has given us an opportunity as a country to, to become a fair with what we need to do to look after each other as a society. So let's take those learnings out of lockdown level five, out of lockdown level four, and bring them into level three and start testing the waters in terms of giving us access to, to sport in the country. All right. So I think very powerfully presented on either end. I've got two minutes, Grant, and, and let me split that and uh, let's see what the remainder is, though. Just as a final closing remark from both of you, Grant, you, you should first. Well, I think, you know, she made incredibly valid points then. So we share those, you know, those sentiments. So, look, let's hope that within the next few days we start to we start to get the answers that we're looking for. Um, we know that our industry desperately needs it. And um, I'd just like to say thank you so much for the opportunity to talk to you and um, to work with these, you know, with these other sports codes. It's been uh, 
it's been really good to to share ideas, share thoughts, and, and try and find a way forward, um, and to sort of work with the Department of Sport, and that's that's a very positive thing that's come out of it. And. Yes, so um, I reiterate what uh, Grant said. Uh, really, in the last five days, we've formed, you know, been working so closely with so many different sports, and I think that's really helped with uh, just having one voice going forward and 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 working with the government and the Department of of Sports, Arts, and Culture to to really um, help to expedite the clarity that we're going to need. And I, yeah. I do really believe that they're listening and understanding. Um, and and I'm really thankful for all the other sports and how we are supporting each other. Uh, this is the one positive that is coming out of, of lockdown and, and you know, COVID-19 is, is how we are working together as uh, becoming one community of sports yeah. um, moving forward. Let me squeeze 20 seconds from you, Marissa. Thank you, Robert. We, we're looking forward to bringing sport to, to South Africans. We know that our communities have been starved of the game. And, um, you know, for those that can play matches, we really salute those, those federations that are non-contact sports. Those, those of us who are contact sports, we are starting to train. We want to get back onto, onto the turf and really start, you know, presenting ourselves to, back to our country and back into our communities. Mm-hmm. CEO there of South African Hockey Association, Marissa Langeni. Let me thank you. And Fermak, uh, the Chief Executive Officer of SA Gymnastics Federation. And let me also thank you as well, Grant Hepburn, uh, the CEO of Golf RSA. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for being with us. And we are going to uh, look forward to further conversations because I, I do believe that this is not the last conversation we're going to be having. But thank you so much and well presented on all the issues. We'll go through the social media input as well. Thank you very, very much. Thank you.